1: To the White Witch Podcast with me, Carly. Hope you are all well, witches. On today's episode, we'll be meeting again with Primrose Hill, our little cottage witch, to take a look into her grimoire at the foxglove, its magical uses, folklore, and a story that links to its connection with hobgoblins. We have no book review today, I'm afraid, which is not for the want of trying. I've read so many books recently, just I haven't read any that I'd be happy to recommend. I'm sorry this episode is late out. I'm still getting myself back on track with managing work commitments, but I am far more organized than I was before and expect to be back to each Wednesday for a podcast episode from next week. But for now, Join me after the break to meet with Primrose Hill and a look at the magical foxglove. The sun was beginning to make its descent. Dusk not long to fall. Primrose can be found in the small kitchen of her cottage, looking out the latticed windows over her kitchen garden, admiring today's handiwork. A combination of deadheading her cosmos and begonias, picking sweet peas along with plenty of tomatoes from the vine. Primrose was now fixing the sweet peas in water within a chintzy china jug before placing them on the windowsill, their aroma filling the space. In between carrying out husbandry that day, she had also been shooing Elsie and Bessie, two of her naughty hens, out the front garden into their run out back before they pecked the life out of her tiny toms. Suddenly the kettle was singing on the hob ready to pour over the herbs she had distilled into her small teapot decorated with small roses. She was brewing up ancestor tea from the notes in her grandmother's recipe book, a book she had not long found in the bottom of one of the kitchen cupboards alongside the pie dishes. Her grandmother had referenced the tea as perfect for Samhain, but equally for any time when one might wish to connect with a relative at any given time in the year. Tonight Primrose intended on drinking this tea as she poured over her grandmother's grimoire. Ancestor tea, enough to make two cups, one to drink and one for your altar for your ancestors. One tisp mugwort, one tisp yarrow, half a tisp of mint, 13 Juniper Berries. Brew in a teapot for eight to 10 minutes before straining to serve. Once the tea had finally brewed, Primrose poured the tea into her favorite pink and white china teacup. She wrapped her favorite black lacy shawl over her shoulders while successfully juggling cup and saucer in one hand and her grandmother Rose's grimoire in the other before navigating her way out the heavy oak front door to the lawn space in the front garden. The scent of jasmine reached her upon the warm August breeze. Balthazar was stretched out on the grass next to her flowery deck chair. He peered at her through one slightly open eye before letting out a small meow to acknowledge her presence. Placing the cup and saucer on a small wooden side table, Primrose eased herself into the chair, Grimoire on her lap, giving herself a moment to look around the garden and the boundary of the woods in the distance. Every now and then she would see bats weave in and out of the elder tree and hedgerow surrounding her cottage, darting in and out of the branches and dive bombing towards the ground their quirky triangular shape playing tricks on her eyes as she strained to see them against the inky blue sky. Primrose would often finish up the summer evenings in this manner, drinking her tea in full before uttering the ancestor prayer to connect with her grandmother Rose and the four generations of hill women before her who had owned and added to the grimoire. It was traditional to burn a grimoire upon the death of a witch. However, in Primrose's lineage, it was customary to pass this special book and wisdom to the first born female of the bloodline. Grandmother Rose's mother, Beatrix, however, had been adopted. She was fated to be part of the family, destined to belong to the Hill family and then to Beatrix. She had taught Rose Primrose's grandmother via the grimoire and through the work they did as wart cunners. The word wart meaning root or herb and cunning originating from the Middle English word "cunnan," meaning to know. More than working with herbs, these women worked with the spirit of a plant, seeking out hidden knowledge and drawing the plants into their healing practice with magical intent. Many would travel from the village and even further afield to Moonwillow Cottage for the women's cures and prophecies. Something that Primrose would one day be able to provide herself once she had fully completed the teachings the hill women had left for her to become a wartsconner herself. Until then, she needed all the strength, divine guidance and courage from the hill women that she could summon ancestor prayer i called my wise fierce strong benevolent ancestors the dead whose blood lives on in my veins those destined to our line by the fate of the stars i call to invoke you ask your spirit stand by me allow our lineage's courage and knowledge to flow to me. Speak your words of wisdom upon the breeze for me to heed. Allow your grounding strength to enter me via the earth beneath my feet. All the while feeling your love in the very bones of me. As I walk this crooked path on this hallowed land each day, blessed with your love and light to guide me along the way. Once the last words of the prayer were uttered, a sharp gust of wind wrapped itself around Primrose, causing the hairs on her arms to prickle. She quickly wrapped the shawl around her shoulders, seeking its light warmth before turning her focus back to the heavy black bound book nestled in her lap. As the bats swooped for insect treasure, The swallows flew into the eaves of the cottage. The hens snuggled up close to one another in the hen house and the cat stood upon all fours to slink off to the forest for dusk adventures. Primrose opened the heavy, ornate, dust-scented grimoire drawn to a particular plant the ancestors wished for her to discover, the foxglove. Foxglove, Latin name Digitalis, linked to the planets Mercury, Saturn, Venus, and the moon, linked to the elements air and ether. It has a feminine energy. It is linked to the zodiac sign Gemini. Its folk names are goblins' gloves, Witch's gloves, dead men's bells, Fairy's glove, gloves of our lady, bloody fingers, virgin's glove, fairy caps, fairy thimbles, folks glove, fox fingers, lion's mouth, fox bells, fairy bells. Its magical uses are fertility, love, protection, communing with the fae, psychic abilities, divination, friendship, communication, luck, understanding, and invoking earth elementals it is linked to the deities flora, Hera, Mars, Venus and Juno an old saying on foxglove it can raise the dead and it can kill them foxglove heralds the arrival of summer an enchanting plant that is symbolic of woodlands meadows and the beauty of nature Foxglove's folk name, Witch's Glove, alludes to its association with witches and witchcraft, a baneful plant that can and has been used for good and evil, symbolic of harming and healing. The Foxglove has long held both positive and negative symbolic meanings. On that very note, beware for this plant is incredibly poisonous and taken in large amounts deadly. All parts are toxic and should not be ingested by humans or animals. Ingestion can result in nausea, hallucination, and cardiac arrhythmia. Beautiful whilst being potentially deadly, ultimately reminding us never to judge a book by its cover. For all its association with witches, It holds as much with the Fae as can be seen through its many folk names such as Fairy Bells, Fairy Thimbles, Fairy Caps, Fairy Fingers and Fairy Gloves. Some believe its name Foxglove comes from a misspelling of Folksglove in reference to the Fair Folk. Names such as Fairy Caps and Fairy Gloves are in reference to the Fae being said to wear them as hats and gloves. To hold one end of a foxglove bell against the palm and clap makes a snap sound that is called fairy thunder. An old custom was said to be to collect the juice of foxgloves and the dew upon them and to place them into the centre of a circle to commune with the Fae. Magically it is said that the leaves are able to break fairy enchantments and the foxglove sap can be used in potions for communing with the Fae whilst having the power to break fairy spells. Foxglove seed pods hold a vast amount of seeds making them a great addition to spells for abundance. Caution however, Old West Country belief is that to pick the foxglove flower is unlucky for it robs the piskies, elves and fae of a plant they particularly delight in. An old legend is told in the West Country of foxgloves bobbing and swaying despite there being no wind. This is said to be the plant bowing to the fae folk who pass by. In turn, this plant is said to be a favorite of the good folk that attracts and appeases them, serving as a gateway to the fairy realm. Working with this plant within ritual and spell work is said to enhance psychic ability, honor nature spirits and deities linked to the plant, but can also be used to invoke elves and earth elementals. In the north of England, Foxglove flowers in the house are said to allow the devil entrance. The mottling of the foxglove is said to be fingerprints left by the elves as a warning of its poisonous nature. In Ireland, the plant was sometimes given the name fairy thimbles. In Wales, they were often called goblin gloves And they were believed to attract hobgoblins who would wear foxglove bells on their fingers as gloves that imparted magical properties. An old Welsh legend claims to be the first to prescribe it because the knowledge of its properties came to the medigan, the Welsh physicians, in a magical way. The legend is loosely based on the early 13th century historical figure Rewollen, the physician to Prince Rhys, the horse of South Wales. Young Rewollen was walking beside a lake one evening when from the mist rose a golden boat. A beautiful maiden was rowing the boat with golden oars. She glided softly away in the mist before he could speak to her. Rewolin returned every evening looking for the maiden. When he did not find her, he asked advice from a wise man. He told Rewolin to offer her cheese. Rewolin did as he was told. The maiden appeared and took his offering. She came ashore, became his wife and bore him three sons. After the sons grew and the youngest became a man, Riwallen's wife rode into the lake one day and returned with a magic box hinged with jewels. She told Riwallen he must strike her three times so that she could return to the mist forever. He refused to hit her, but the next morning as he finished breakfast and prepared to go to work, Riwallen tapped his wife affectionately on the shoulder three times. Instantly, a cloud of mist enveloped her and she disappeared. Left behind was the bejeweled magic box. When the Three Sons opened it, they found a list of all the medicinal herbs, including foxglove, with full directions for their use and healing properties. With this knowledge, the Sons became the most famous of physicians. In Wales, women would make black dye from the foxglove plants and paint crossed lines with it upon the floors of their homes to prevent evil from entering. Foxglove leaves would be strewn around babies' cradles for protection from bewitchment on the Scottish borders. Foxglove leaves would be placed in the shoes of children for the same protection from bewitchment, but also to cure scarlet fever. In many regions, foxglove was believed to protect the home from the enchantment of witches and fairies, preventing them from entering the grounds of your property. Therefore, it would often be planted around boundaries outside the home. Perhaps the plant is given its name from the many pieces of folklore pertaining to the fae and foxes. The name perhaps derives from the Anglo-Saxon word foxes glue." The word glil meaning ring of bells. Old Norse legend is that the foxes would wear bell-shaped foxglove blossoms around their neck, a spell of protection against hunters. Tales of foxes being saved from extinction by the Fae are told in Scandinavia. The Fae showed the foxes how to ring the bells of the foxglove to warn fellow foxes of approaching hunters and hounds. The fae were also said to have shown the foxes how to wear the flower blossoms on their paws like little booties, enabling the fox to creep quietly into the hen house and capture unsuspecting chickens to feast on. Old saying on fox bells, if you hear the bells ring, you will die soon. In Roman mythology, the goddess Juno visited Flora, goddess of fields, crops and flowers, distraught for her husband had fathered another child, Minerva by Jupiter. The conversation went something like this with Juno asking Flora, if my husband can bring forth a child without need of me, why can I not bring forth a child without need of him? To which Flora whispered, if I reveal to you another way, you must never tell your husband. Flora placed a foxglove blossom on her thumb and touched Juno's stomach and breasts. Instantly, Juno conceived. She left Flora's garden and made for the shoreline before birthing Mars, the god of war. Ever since, the foxglove has been associated with women's magic and midwifery. White witches, practitioners of benign and healing magic, were often depicted as living in the woods with vixen familiars who had enchanted foxglove bells around their necks. Foxglove provides us with digitalis that is used to treat heart conditions. Dr Wittering, who is credited with discovering foxglove's use within treating conditions of the heart, proclaimed This was drawn to his attention through him noticing its effects when used in a tea prepared by a local wise woman. Culpepper quoted the plant could be used to treat the king's evil of scrofula and to clean sores. Overall, foxglove has been used for a tonic since the Celtic and Roman times. It has been used to treat heart conditions such as congestive heart failure as an anti-inflammatory agent to relieve pain, to cleanse the kidneys, edema, and also aconite poisoning. Historically, it was used to alleviate respiratory illnesses such as coughs and congestions. It was named throat wart at one point, reflecting its use in treating throat infections. Infusions and salves have also been made from it to apply topically to various skin conditions. Its use in folk medicine decreased significantly due to the unpredictability of the plant's toxicity levels, making it tricky to determine the correct non-fatal dosage. Vincent van Gogh was said to have used foxglove within medicine for epilepsy. It is unknown how successful this was as a treatment. However, art historians believe a side effect would have been a yellow haze in his sight that might explain how many of his paintings were yellow centred. Leonhard Fuchs, German physician and botanist, first gave Foxglove the Latin name digitalis, which originates from the Latin word digitus, referring to fingers. The added on talis in Latin means excellent or distinguished. Leon Hart based the Latin name on the German folk name fingerhut, which translates literally as finger hat and references thimbles. In the early language of flowers, the foxglove is recorded as symbolic of riddles, conundrums and secrets. By the Victorian era, it became a more negative symbol of insincerity. Foxglove's medicine links to stoic resilience, balance and harmony through its opposing energies of harm and heal but also symbolic of the marginalized and misunderstood within society. Combined with its mystical links to witches and the fae, this plant is often considered an outcast of the plant family. In its ability to thrive practically anywhere, excluding extreme climates, this beauty of a plant can remind us to stand tall, for this plant can often grow to six feet tall, urging us to be seen in the world rather than stay in the shadows, to be courageous, brave and adventurous, face challenges head on and give it our all. In return, we should expect to have our vulnerability rewarded with success. The toxicity of foxglove also reminds us that nobody is perfect. And despite having flaws and regrets, We should banish shame and be proud of ourselves for overcoming hardships and getting to where we are in the present moment. We should also take heed of the spotting on foxglove blooms. They tell us that blemishes are natural and it's our imperfections that make us unique and beautiful. With a combination of healing and harmful properties, Foxglove implies that there is no pure evil or pure good in the world, and that we are all a mixed bag. We have the potential to do virtuous things and terrible things, and our lives are an intricate tapestry of both. The poisonous side of the foxglove reminds us to be wary of beauty or pleasure, Something may appear enticing, but the consequences of bringing it into your life could be dire. It is the whole don't judge a book by its cover sentiment. We could take this literally and apply the lesson to physical beauty, or we could see it in a more figurative light that we should be tentative when it comes to things that we feel drawn to, for example, drugs or alcohol. This is the story Goblin's Gloves by Alison Cox from the website dancingleaves.com. Garth didn't like it, no, not one bit and told Gwen so every chance he got. Anybody coming through our patch of the woods will be thinking that you're a witch, growing all those goblin gloves, he'd tell her. But Gwen just laughed at him. No one ever comes out here to our wood and they are such lovely flowers. How could I not grow them? Well, they don't call them goblin gloves for nothing. They draw them here, Gwen, to dance and sing and who knows what kind of other mischief. Just not wise, I tell you, we should pull them all up. You just keep your nose out of my flower beds, Gwen warned him and called over her shoulder. Do not let me find any of my flowers missing. Garth was already heading toward the forest path, so he just waved over his free arm and slung his axe over his shoulder with his other as he headed up the mountain to cut firewood to sell in town. He always left early to be sure to be back before dusk when the mountain spirits were said to walk about. Gwen knew that Garth would indulge her and leave the flowers alone. He just liked to grumble about some things now and then, just so she would know that he was keeping an eye out. What she didn't tell him was that she had been, over the years, transplanting all the goblins' gloves that she would come across growing into the forest pathways on the way to back from town. She knew the flowers were only seeking more light and that they would get trampled underfoot as Garth carried wood to town to sell at market. In her gardens and the surrounding meadows, the long beautiful spikes of purple, pink and white bells sometimes grew up to eight feet tall. No other flower in her garden stood so tall for so long. As Gwen weeded in her garden that morning, she kept stopping and listening and looking around for she felt that she was not alone. As she was weeding around the base of one of her favourite stands of goblin gloves, she straightened her back to look to see if perhaps someone was behind her and then turned back around and, oh! She made such a jump, for there was a hobgoblin standing there where a tall stand of goblins' gloves had been just the moment before. The hob looked up at her with bright eyes. He had a long, thick, dark beard and copper-coloured skin. Gwen figured he was about an L-high, two feet, and though of the smallest stature, she thought he was very well proportioned. He was dressed in woven cloth of earthen colours and wore boots and a belt of leathers. Well, excuse me, I didn't see you standing there. The little man bowed and spoke in a low voice. Well, it is me who is asking your forgiveness, for I've startled you who cares for our flowers and protects them from the one who cuts the trees. Protect your flowers? Oh, you mean the goblin gloves? Well, now, it is my pleasure to have them grow here gwen said secretly delighted that the hob appeared to her and then realized what he had said and oh do you not pay any mind to my man's talk about pulling up the flowers he really does love flowers too he is just like an old bear and must grumble and growl a bit now and then truth to tell he just worries when he leaves me home alone while he cuts wood up in the mountains He's heard that you Hobbs are attracted to the Goblin Gloves and, well, he fears that you Hobbs will play tricks on me while he was gone. Tell your man that we Hobbs watch over you while he works and would never let any harm come to you. And we want to do more to thank you for growing our flowers here. Gwen closed her eyes against the glare of the sun for a moment, smiling. Oh, there's no need. I'm happy to grow these flowers here. And... She shaded her eyes to discover the little hob was gone and the goblin gloves reappeared in that same spot, shivering a bit as though a gentle breeze had blown across the little meadow. Well, imagine that, a hob talking to me and wanting to help me, nonetheless. But that night, when Garth was home, Gwen never did tell him about her visitor, nor did she mention that before she went to bed, she had left some fresh cream in a bowl on the back step for the hob. In the morning, the bowl of cream was empty, but someone had worked the churn she had left filled with cream beside the half that night. All she had to do was but give it a thump or two to bring out the butter in a great lump. One night, Gwen and Garth had fallen asleep, forgetting to blow out the candle, and when they arose in the morning, Gwen found that someone had swept the hearth. The following nights, she left a mug of ale on the back step, and didn't she find someone had done her other chores those nights too? Sometimes it would be her baking and brewing, other times her washing and mending. Garth never seemed to notice the extra help, he just complimented Gwen on her good bread and good beer and Gwen noticed that after eating and drinking the food and ale that the Hobbs had left them Garth seemed livelier and happier than he had in years one morning he even jumped out of bed and hugged her first thing in the morning before tea even and told her that he felt like a new man well thought, you certainly act like one Gwen made sure to leave an extra bowl of cream on the back step that night. Their little farm prospered as never before. But then one late afternoon, stretched into one long evening, Gwen was sure that any minute Garth would come home calling, I'm back Gwen, and would be lowering the bundle of wood from his back. For he never stayed out so late. By long past bedtime, Gwen was worried sick. She went outside in her shawl, standing in the moonlight in her garden, looking towards the woods and calling, Garf, Garth, are you out there love? But she heard only the night cricket sing back. Gwen clutched at her shawl and turned to go back inside when she heard, "He won't be coming home tonight. She spun around to find the same small hob with the long dark beard and bright eyes staring up at her where she was just about to step. And rather than be surprised at this sudden appearance, Gwen thought only of Garth. And where might he be? she asked the little man. The old woman of the mountain has a glamour on him and will not let him go. The hob said, looking steadily into her eyes, Gwen cried, no, for all who grew up in the shadow of the mountains knew of the old woman of the mountain, an evil spirit that sat amongst the rocks along the mountain trails, waiting to lure travellers off the path to their death. Gwen dropped to her knees and, looking at the little man eye to eye, pleaded. Please, sir, if there is any power that you have to help him, I ask you to bring my garth back home to me. You wish us to protect the killer of trees? Who would have you pull up our flowers? The hob asked. Yes, please. You know that he has never pulled up any goblin gloves, and he cares for me. Who cares for your flowers? If anything ever happens to him, then it will be the end of me. The hob looked at her solemnly. Will you help him? Gwen asked again. He nodded slowly. But can you really help him? Can one hob stop the magic of the old woman of the mountains? At this, the hob's face broke into a merry smile. We are more in number than one hob. Look around you, my lady. Gwen heard soft laughter echoing around the meadow and looked up to see. In every place where the tall spires of pink and purple bells of the goblin gloves had been growing, there now was standing the hobs themselves, dozens and dozens of them. And, he continued, we hobs have powerful magic of our own. With that said, the hobgoblins all disappeared. Thanks to you all, whispered Gwen, as she sat back down on the cool earth to wait bring my Garth back home to me. As he was walking up the mountain trail, the last thing Garth remembered was that he was thinking, if I could just get a little more wood, I will not need to come up the mountain at all tomorrow. I could spend the day with Gwen, maybe even take her to town to see some friends. She'd like that. And wouldn't you know, just then he had come around a curve in the trail and that's when he saw her a brooding, silent figure that seemed to step from the shadows themselves and slowly pull back her dark hood to reveal a hag's face, wild eyes shining and chanting. By my tongue do as I bid, a curse on you through power of stone, a veil upon your mind and I weave, dance over the cliff and break your bones. Laughing, she pointed out the trail with long fingers and commanded him to climb. The spirit woman had complete control of Garth. He dropped the bundle of wood that he had been gathering all day, as well as his axe, and began to trudge further up the trail where the hag had pointed. The old woman of the mountain floated after him her black shredded cloak and gown flying about her in the winds that followed her. She cackled to herself as she guided the poor man higher up the trail to the cliffs that overlooked the valley and his little farm below. There the trail widened out to a long rocky ledge. The old woman of the mountains was playing with him just as a child would dance a puppet on a string, taunting him before she walked the woodcutter over the edge. Suddenly, the empty mountain ledge was filled with little men. They appeared in a circle around the hag who began to shriek at them. Get out of my way! Garth came back to his senses but could not understand what his eyes then beheld for there was the hag of the mountain. He remembered seeing her before all the world went dark only now she was surrounded by hobgoblins who stood in multiple rings around her, holding her imprisoned simply by pointing their fingers at her. Garth stared, trying to make sense of the scene before him. He took a step closer and saw that the fingers of every hob were covered with the flowers of goblin gloves, and that the old woman of the mountain seemed to fear that they might touch her with these flowery gloves. He took a step closer still, but a hob suddenly appeared before him, scaring him out of his wits. The hob simply looked into his eyes and said, run, and Garth did exactly that. He darted past the hag and hobs, dashed down the mountain, and ran as long as his lungs would allow and then hurried on as fast as his legs would carry him until he reached the meadow surrounding his little farm. There he was greeted by cries of relief as Gwen rose from her garden where she had been waiting ever since the hobs had disappeared. That night Garth told Gwen all that he could remember that happens on the mountain, and Gwen told Garth about the appearance and disappearance of the hobs in the garden. Garth stayed close to home for several weeks. During these days, he scouted the forest paths for more goblins' gloves. He would dig these up and take them to Gwen, who would exchange them with any other variety of flowers she had growing, and give these to Garth to transplant out in the woods, until the only flowers that grew in their flower beds and around the edges of the meadow were goblins' gloves. From that day on, both Garth and Gwen made sure that there was a mug of ale or basin of cream left on the back step each night. Though they never saw the little men again, sometimes as Gwen and Garth lay in each other's arms in bed together, they would hear the light laughter and voices of the Hobbs as they danced and sang under the soft moonlight in the meadow outside.
0: That's BlueNile.com.
1: That is all I have for you today, witches. Thank you so much for joining me. Catch up with you all soon, and I'm sending you lots and lots of witchy love.